Welcome to the Sailing Into Oblivion podcast. I'm your host, Jerome Rand. Welcome to part three of the Appalachian Trail story. So this, we're going to start this one right off at uh, the border to North Carolina and work our way north through some pretty tremendous hiking and uh, hills and everything and then end up going through the Smoky Mountains all the way to the border of Tennessee. So we left off, I had just finished with Georgia, and Georgia has about 75 miles, and, you know, everything was new, everything was fresh, the excitement was there, and it was still there for quite a bit, you know, North Carolina, I would say things, the trail itself doesn't seem to change, although the mountains definitely get a little bit higher, and some of them become pretty steep, you know, only... I think five or six miles into North Carolina and all of a sudden you come to what doesn't even look like a trail anymore and that's going up a little place called Albert Mountain and it basically is a rock scramble. It's not very long but there's this little peak for about a quarter of a mile where you're literally climbing using your hands all that sort of stuff totally different than anything else that you had seen or I had seen along the way and you get up there and there's this old metal fire tower and you know when I had gotten there I don't know if it's still that way but it you could climb the stairs up but the actual platform was locked off but it's sort of this this neat old thing that you find and it's I think it's the first fire tower that you really come across so it's sort of I don't know it has this air of of I don't know, really being on the trail and and being in this sort of old-timey place where people used to have to be up there and, and search for forest fires and alert people and all that sort of stuff. So it was really, really neat to get up there. And, you know, my knees were still giving me a lot of pain and making sort of my life questionable. And by that, I mean... As you're walking along, you feel this pain and you pay attention to it and it gets either a little worse or sometimes it would just go away for a little bit and then it would come back and the whole time you're sort of thinking in your head, is this going to get so bad that I'm actually going to have to stop hiking and and give this thing up? At least that that was my biggest fear and I think a lot of other hikers feel that way when they're when they're having some sort of pain that they can't narrow down to exactly what it is. You know, if you have blisters, you know there's a way to sort of try and solve it by getting different boots or or just sort of medical attention. But when it's sort of an internal thing, then it's questionable. Back pain, neck pain, uh, knee pain for me, all that sort of stuff. It, it, it I don't know, I think, it's, I think it's because you have so much time on your hands to sit and think, I shouldn't say sit, to walk and think that you start to question everything and and it, it just sort of controls your mind. So at that point, I was still dealing with this sort of constant little pain. And at my first stop in Georgia, I had taken a zero day, no miles, just icing my knees and relaxing. And I think two days into 
North Carolina, I ended up pulling off to a little town called Franklin and getting a room down there. And I, I didn't take a zero day. I think I had walked about 12 miles, maybe 15 miles to get there and then relax the whole time. And coming out of there, did another really short, like 12 mile day. And this was all sort of in preparation to just try to slow things down a little bit so that my legs could actually sort of get in the groove. You know, I, I really didn't want to push it to a point where I actually injured myself. And I felt, I felt like the best thing to do was just lower miles, go a little bit slower, walk a little f longer in the day rather than push hard. And the average sort of speed, I think for most hikers is three miles an hour. So you're doing three miles every hour. So 20 minutes, you've done a mile. And that was pretty much my average, at least in the beginning. So I tried to crank that back to about two, two and a half, which if you've ever walked at two and a half miles an hour, it's slow. But again, you have to consider that I'm going uphill, I'm going downhill. There's a lot of breaks in between, all that sort of stuff. So cruising and cruising, and the mountains are sort of getting bigger and bigger. But the miles started to add up a little. And part of the reason was that it was just raining. The rain and the cold were kind of never stopping. And I'm not one to just want to sit in my tent and sort of try and wait it out sort of one of those things where I just want to get it over with and I'll I'd be up earlier on the trail a little earlier and just sort of bull through it and I can remember one one spot right in the beginning of North Carolina where I pulled in it had been raining all day and I had I had since really given up on trying to actually stay in the shelters there were so many people around and and sleeping in those those places was no good between the mice running around and the people snoring and constantly turning over i mean snoring is one thing but you know because your knees your legs everything is so sore you rarely ever just lie on your sleeping pad in your sleeping bag and don't move at all Every time you roll over from one side to another, it's it's really loud because it's nylon on another nylon and it's all makes that whoosh, whoosh, whoosh sort of sound. And so you've got that going on and I'm, I'm just too much of a light sleeper. So I had pretty much grown accustomed to camping out, but on this one day, just raining and raining and raining, I really was looking forward to an empty shelter and I roll up and... It's this group that I had run into before, not a very good vibe, not bad per se, but just not my type of people. Uh, a lot of a lot of talk about which gear is better, just stuff that, I don't know, it, it was a little strange. So I, and, and the only reason they had caught up and actually passed me was that I had taken, you know, the zero day and then I had gone into Franklin as well. And so I get in there, it's just raining it had been raining all day and i i'm sure i could have squeezed in but i was like no thanks so i started camping um you know a little ways away maybe only 100 yards 100 feet something like that but i had pulled in and it was just it was cold it was rainy and i ended up trying my best to build a fire and i ended up actually succeeding just starting off with the tiniest little sticks and all that but really piling them all up before I even started and 
made a little tarp out of uh, my ground cloth for the tent and ended up having sort of this nice, nice night where, you know, I had the nice fire. I, I was able to keep it pretty close to the tent. So when it came time to sort of get into the bag and into the tent, I still had some fire light going. And I don't know, it, it was sort of an awakening for me as far as what the future months looked like because up until that point I sort of was wavering between these shelters and all that sort of stuff and and sort of not dealing with the people but coming along and and you know not not really meshing super well with every single person I met which is really common I mean there's some people that you just meet and it's awesome like scuba Steve was fantastic and and I end up meeting up with him a little later but on that night yeah, I didn't want anything to do with it. But I also, I started to get into this routine, uh, which I called tent time. And I loved, loved tent time. So after set up camp, have a fire, make dinner, you know, cocktails, whatever, crank back, get in the tent. And that was when I would set out, my ritual was to set the trail guide, my journal, and then I had the terrain guide, which is like a little long strip just showing you the the terrain you were going over and I would lay all those out and I'd look at what I had done, add up the miles, put those in my journal, you know, maybe log through, do a big entry, all that sort of stuff. And then, then I could sort of explore what was coming up and I never went too far ahead because after three or four days of planning, everything sort of gets muddled. You never know how far you're actually going to get, but Definitely looking at the next one or two days really precisely and seeing, you know, w what the terrain's going to look like, how many different things are there, do I have campsites, do I have shelters, all that sort of stuff, and and so that that became sort of my ritual, and I absolutely loved it. You know, there's just something about it, and I think for me, it really was reminiscent of being on a boat. You know, when at night when stuff is sorted and the boat's sailing well. One of my favorite things is just get back down below, get in your bunk. Everything's nice and dry and warm, and you can either read a book or do some journal stuff like that. And I don't know, there's just this sort of feeling of of that ritual that I really liked. But making it through North Carolina and and the whole time, you know, all, all everybody's talking about is the Smoky Mountains because the Smoky Mountains are huge. We're up in the, like the 6,000, 6,500 foot range, really steep. They also have lots of restrictions and rules. There's no more sort of what they call cowboy camping where you can just find a cool spot and, you know, make a little fire and call it good. No, in the Smokies, you have to stay in the shelters. The shelters are big, typically made for more than 10 to 20 people and and the weather really is the big concern because if it's going to snow along the trail in March, the Smoky Mountains are where it's going to get hit. So that's sort of, and that's what everybody's talking about, you know, meeting people along the way and, oh, what's your plan for the Smokies? Do you have all this? And, and we're looking at the weather, but you really only can check that because, again, this is back 2012. Cell phones didn't get any reception out there, and there really wasn't iPhones or anything. Um, and so you know, we didn't really know. Uh, you sort of had had your little report when you were in a town, but then you'd have five days without it. So we were making our way up there, and um, as, the, as the trail got a little more demanding, 
my knees actually started to sort of behave a little more in that I think with the the slower pace, I was putting less pressure on them uh, and I was able to hike a little bit longer. So my miles went from, <clears throat> excuse me, my, my watt miles went from, you know, 15 and 12 up to 17 or 18 miles per day. And that made a pretty big difference, you know, when you're adding things up and, and looking at how far ahead you're getting and you start trying to plan it's a lot different to factor in 12 miles as opposed to 18 miles. I mean, on a, on a map or on the terrain guides, you're, you're seeing a huge difference. I mean, that's, that's one or two little mountains basically. So I'd gotten out through, <clears throat> through all this rain and all this sort of stuff and doing all these miles and you do this gigantic, crazy downhill to get into a place called NOC and I'll murder this name, but it's the Nantahala Outdoor Center. And basically they do all sorts of kayaking through these rapids. And they have the race thing where the little poles hang down and you try and get through the gates and all that sort of stuff. But they have a really nice outfitter there. A lot of all the sort of camping stuff. And then restaurant, laundry, and little cabins, you know, three or four people can sleep in to rent. So we do this massive like ridge walk that's just going down, down, down. It's pretty much just me. And I was, I was again, still trying to sort of take it easy. But for whatever reason, I ended up passing the last little shelter and went straight into the NOC and get down there. And I run into a couple of hikers that I had, I had met briefly before. And all of a sudden we're having beers and then we're out, you know, at the restaurant. It turns into a sort of this sort of social event got to do laundry, got to a little, uh, that was one of my first like true hitchhiking experiences when I had to get to a gas station to go get some smokes and some other stuff. Um, cause I, I knew I was going to be trying to resupply. I want to say it was before, before I got into the Smokies. Um, I think there's like a, a tiny little place that you can go to, but so I'm all sort of geared up and then then I hit the trail and it's it's literally a seven mile uphill to the first shelter out of the NOC. So it's a, a bit of a beating and just hours and hours of uphill, uphill, uphill probably took. I mean, it, it's closer actually to eight miles, I think, and got up to the shelter. And again, shelter super packed uh it was definitely a lot of younger people and and i mean i could hear all the commotion and everything from from the trail which was like 200 feet 200 yeah two, <laughs> 200 feet away and <clears throat> and i just didn't even want to have to deal with any of that i mean i had enough social sort of interaction uh at the noc but set up my little camp up there. I got this sort of little perch and everything. And then lo and behold, Scuba Steve rolls in uh, about an hour or so later. Somehow we had been hiking sort of in the same five-mile corridor for days and didn't know. We just weren't crossing each other's paths, which is always kind of funny. It surprised me on the trail how that can happen. You know, it's almost like one person stops at a shelter 
which has a tiny side trail and the other person just keeps hiking and then all of a sudden that person who you are sure is behind you still is up forward and the only way you can track them besides other people telling you would be the the shelter registers and i that was probably besides just wanting to see each shelter and you know take a little food break or whatever it was nice just to read the shelter registers to be able to sort of see where these people were because by this time maybe there were 20 or more hikers that i knew and really got along with and all that sort of stuff and and so sort of seeing how they were doing because some were just flying up the trail others were well behind me and you'd only know that because they they weren't signing anything you never saw their names but we get up there and scuba steve and i are hanging out we had brought beers all that sort of stuff and and had a great night up there he ended up staying at the shelter and the next morning was where i found absolutely the best camp spot and it's just past so i was camping up near the sassafras gap shelter but about a mile further is the peak and again i'm, I'm probably gonna murder this this name as well but it's Ch- <laughs> chihoa chihoa bald and this literally you get to the top of this mountain and it's about just over five thousand feet and it's just a nice little lawn there's logs, there's a, a nice fire pit, but the view, you just see all the surrounding hillsides. And this is when it's still sort of cold, and in the mornings, there's this sort of hazy smoke that lays in between all these ridge lines, and there's no, there's no buildings, there's no roads, none of that stuff you can see. It's all just still winter-dead forest for as long as you can see, and it's got that smoky sort of atmosphere to it. It was absolutely amazing. It was the only time I was really kicking myself for not reading the guidebook a little a little closer because it, it really didn't um, it didn't say there's a it didn't give a description of a camp spot, but it does mark it as there is camping up there. And I blew it. I, I even thought that morning about just taking basically a zero day and and just staying there just to be able to enjoy it. But the weather was was turning again from we had a little break from the rain and it was coming back in. We could actually hear sort of the thunder rolling in from from this big cloud bank. And Scuba Steve had had gotten up and we're we're basically hiking together that day. And we started just blasting down the trail, big downhill. And then it was sort of a lot of up and downs. <clears throat> and and that went on, you know, for another good like 20 miles or so. And then you start, you, uh, we, we ended up getting to this one shelter and again, whole bunch of people. I know this is going to get like repetitive, but just a bunch of people. And, and there were a couple of characters that definitely were not, I don't know. It just, if you walk into a shelter and you know, I, I put this on myself because I was still smoking cigarettes at the time, but you light up a smoke, you're going to get about half the people in that shelter asking you if they can bump some. And, you know, they, they try and actually, it, it almost makes it guilty because they'll say, oh, dude, I'll give you a dollar for one. And I don't, I don't, my money has no, <laughs> has no value out there compared to things like beef jerky or smokes or 
you know, any kind of candy or all that sort of stuff, the food and all that, that's what has, that's the real currency in the woods. But so, you know, I, I think Steve was scuba. Steve was in the same sort of mind frame after we hung out there for a little while and we pumped water and sort of what you do, uh, the, I guess you'd call it the etiquette or maybe it's the easy way out. I don't, I don't really know. Cause you don't want to offend people and all that sort of stuff. I, you know, if somebody was like, well, Oh, you, are you guys going to stay or not? I'm going to say, well, no, I would stay, but I don't really like you guys. It's more of uh you go in, you set your pack down and you do something like pump water, get a feel for who all's there. And, you know, you never really say, oh, I'm going to stay or this or that. You, you sort of have to make a feel for it. You never want to like sort of announce things. But in any event, so we got out of there and we just went another, I don't know, mile or two up the hill and and the thunder was still rolling in and we ended up sort of setting up our own little camp. And it was one of those times where it just it felt like it felt a little dangerous to be in the woods with with the thunder and then soon the lightning. And we had set up my ground cloth again as a little tarp and we sort of built a fire and we just sort of sat there because it started to rain and then it started to hail. And so we're just sitting under there. Our tents are all set up. You know, we're watching this fire slowly sort of die. But I was able to procure a little 151 Cardi rum and we sat under there and it was I, I think it was like a half pint or something it was a tiny tiny amount and I, I always kept that stuff because I could use it in my stove for fuel uh, if I ran out of the denatured alcohol but we sat there and filled up little tiny capfuls and sort of just switched back and forth and you know if, if you take man swigs of 151 you're you're going to be face down in in a matter of minutes but little tiny capfuls perfect and we just sort of passed the rest of the day under the tarp and the hail's coming there's lightning thunder all this stuff but it wasn't it didn't really let loose until that night and i still i will never forget you know scuba scuba starts sort of moaning and groaning in the middle of the night maybe like two in the morning but his basically his camp spot, his little tent had had completely flooded. He's soaking wet. He doesn't really know what to do. There isn't much you can do. The winds are blowing and it's all crazy out. And I'm in my tent. <laughs> he's oh man, he's he's literally just at, at a loss. And and that's how I've I've been in that situation too, where all of a sudden you're soaking wet, you can't really move. There's no way to get warm or get dry the only way you're going to stay warm is to stay put in your sleeping bag even though it's already wet and just wait it out and i think he just sat there i think in the morning he had said he basically sat up and tried to tried to stay out of the puddle as best as he could because uh, he had like an inflatable uh an inflatable sleeping pad which basically turned into a life raft and in the morning you know he hadn't slept at all we warmed a couple of pop tarts over the ashes of the fire that we we stoked again, and and then we were off, and we were running towards, um, towards uh, oh, what is it called? Do, 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 do. Headed towards Fontana Dam, and that's the entrance to the Great Smoky Mountains. And 
as you as you sort of approach them, you start to see these these sort of hulking, sort of dark, really steep looking mountains. They they look very different from the rest of the hills that you've been hiking on. And it was super cool just to just to sort of know that you're you're about to enter these sort of storied crazy mountains. Yeah, but it's 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 heavy hiking. It's hard. It's definitely not easy. Um, it it really was not. Uh, it wasn't. It was something. I, I don't want to say I was scared of, but I was definitely nervous about you know what was what was sort of going on. But in Fontana Dam, we were able to go to this like sort of like a post office, grocery, ice cream, laundry, all this sort of stuff. Um, I think it was called like the pit stop or whatever. And I think it. You know, it does a little bit of business for hikers, but it mostly is for the bikers, like the motorcycles in the in the summer and stuff that that go and and ride. I I want to say the the road was called like the Dragon or something like that. It's like two hundred and seventy five curves and fifteen miles or something. I don't know, but it was a super like crazy biker place. And although there weren't any there at the time. I don't know. You, you just sort of had this funny feel. It wasn't what I expected, but we launch into the Smokies and it's just uphill. You just know that it's all going to be uphill for a long time. And again, the weather was, was pretty crummy, but it, it stopped raining on the, that day. And as we approached our first little shelter, I think we were about a mile, two miles away. Then the winds all of a sudden started picking up clouds rolled in i don't think we were hearing any thunder we might have been and literally we're just booking it we're we're hiking as fast as we possibly can because we just want to get to that shelter before the sky opens up and and it's raining we get there and there are a ton of hikers in there maybe 10 12 already there and what would have been a just a beautiful stone walled shelter had this old crummy blue tarp around the front of it which in a lot of ways was nice because it sort of kept uh the wind off of us and whatnot but at the same time it also kept in the stench of all our our hiking gear and everybody's everybody sort of strung all their wet socks and wet everything all over the place so it's super i don't know it, it seemed kind of gross but we ended up hanging out. All those people were pretty cool. And we we sort of knew going into the Smokies that you you have to stay in these shelters. And that was fine. It just wasn't ideal, I guess. But the Smokies also are, are really known for, for not only having their bears, but having bears that are used to people and, and also used to people food. I, I'm pretty sure that they have restricted you know what used to be a very common thing of feeding the bears they used to have chain link fences over in front of every shelter because people would feed bears through them and all that sort of stuff that is something that i think is long gone but at the same time it just doesn't seem like a place you want to really be alone in the forest somewhere in the smoky mountains it is kind of a sheltery kind of place to be but we're just going up, down. The views are great. There's a lot of balds in the Smokies. So you're you're in these thick forests, and then you get close to the top, and, and all of a sudden there's this big bald, and you see all this, all the views and everything. But a, a lot of those balds are actually being sort of taken over by different types of bushes and things like that. And I, I think the, the Forest Service is 
trying not to really touch anything and let it all just go back to normal nature, so to speak. And it's kind of a shame because when you do get to these balls, they're, they're usually just grass and you're, you're sat there just looking at the world around you is absolutely beautiful. It's like the perfect reward for battling up mountain after mountain, just trying to, trying to make your way through. And the Smokies have, about 70 miles, maybe 80 miles, just in the Smoky Mountains alone. But one of the cool things for me was actually being able to pass by a few of the shelters that I had actually stayed at when I was like maybe 20 years old. And we had done a camping trip. A few buddies of mine and I went down there. And we were mostly on side trails, but we were on the AT first. And that was the place that I had actually met my the first like through hikers uh, a guy named Redbeard and I can't remember what we called the other guy we were just idiots back then and they probably hated us just like I would have you know probably not been that excited to run into a bunch of bunch of rapscallion teenagers just looking to party in the woods because that's all we were going to do uh, and these guys had probably hiked 20 miles and were exhausted and didn't want to have to deal with it Especially when when all of us had sort of like the giggles when we we got back in the shelter and they're already asleep and oh man it was uh, some of the memories of of that camping trip <laughs> when I was younger are just great oh, those good times but that that was sort of what sparked a lot of it and <laughs> and so you know I'm walking through I'm seeing some of these old trail signs that I remember and all stuff it's real vivid in my head and. We're up and down, and it's it's pretty much Scuba and I. We we sort of stuck together through the Smokies. I think I think just knowing that we were going to be in these shelters, and you know this was some pretty rough terrain. We just we just sort of stuck together, and it it didn't mean we were hiking always, you know, side by side or anything. But if you're you know you stop for lunch, and the other guy catches up, and then you stop at you know which shelter you're going to stop at, and all that sort of stuff, and by the time we made it about halfway through the Smokies, you actually get to a place called Newfound Gap. And that's about halfway through or so. But it's this huge parking lot. There's tons and tons of visitors. The Smoky Mountains is, I believe, the most popular national forest uh, in the United States. I mean, like 9 million people or something go there every year. And most of them are just there, take a couple snapshots, maybe walk this short little trail say they did it and and you know go on but after newfound gap there's less than 2,000 miles to mount katahdin up in maine and so it's kind of cool when you see that first sign where there's less than 2,000 miles it's like all right we're we're actually getting somewhere and typically that's where people will duck down and go to gatlinburg which is this crazy tourist trap area with you know mini golf and and Ripley's Believe It or Not museums and all that sort of stuff. And I had been there before. I had no want of going. And that was sort of why we had stopped at Fontana Dam to make sure we could resupply because we wanted to get through the Smokies. You know, we wanted to see it and we were definitely going to, but we didn't want to stay any longer than we absolutely had to because we knew, we knew that our sort of, freedoms to be able to camp where we wanted would be diminished down to nothing and we were a hundred percent right on that thinking and so 
we do the first night we the second night we hit up uh, just after newfound gap and there were at that place it was kind of cool it was this beautiful like bald area a nice shelter we camped outside of it because the shelter was just filled it was like families and and there were little kids and all that sort of stuff so it was kind of cool it was it was fun to mingle with um these guys who were doing you know like week-long hikes or whatever and with all their families and stuff and the weather wasn't too bad but we camp there and then we take off and then the last place that we went i believe it was the tri-corner knob shelter it might be either that or crosby uh let's see oh yeah it was try it was tri-corner and uh <laughs> so we knew the next day we were going to be getting out of there uh but we get in here and this place is jam-packed absolutely to the gills people are camping around it already and then a big group of i don't know if it was it was some sort of group like a ymca or i don't know something like that there were 18 people rolled in and found all these other people there and there's this weird sort of permit permitting permitting process where you know these groups can come in and they get they have a permit telling them okay well they can stay at this shelter or that shelter but at through hikers i think had uh i think they were it was sort of first come first serve or at least that's that's what people were sort of thinking and i remember not not really fights broke out or anything like that but there were definitely some words exchanged and people weren't happy because this, this whole group had to go up and luckily there was sort of this small field about 100 yards away and and they set up all their tents and everything up there but i just remember being jammed in and we're this is a, a plat a shelter that has two platforms probably fit about 10 people on each platform we were down on the lower one and just i mean just crammed absolutely crammed full of people it was super fun we met a lot of through hikers at that one but there were actually a couple through hikers that took off that night and that was that was sort of my first experience seeing people actually take off and hike through the night you know for me i was like why would anybody want to do that but it did sort of spark an idea in my head not not that i was going to follow through with it at that point but this one little guy and i i forget his name he he was flying i mean absolutely flying up the trail uh and he took off that night by himself and i just i couldn't believe it all i thought of was man that's a great way to run into bears uh or get lost fall off the trail anything i mean i don't know i was like more power to you so so we're in that last last place it wasn't a great night's sleep a lot of a lot of mice a lot of snoring, a lot of everything, just noises. I that was one of the first times I put headphones in and tried to sleep that way, but that really didn't work at all. Again, I'm a light sleeper. What can I say? It's 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 a curse and I think some of it comes from the sailing thing because you're never when you're solo sailing, you're you're never really dead asleep. You only sort of have one ear open listening for any changes uh, to the boat or funny noises so you know you sort of wake up and that's just uh something that sort of always stuck with me but the next day we get out and i think there was only about like 10 or 15 miles and we get out of um out of the smokies and you hit the tennessee border one of the coolest things we get to the end of that and um you uh 
we we ended up running into one of the coolest setups for trail magic i had ever seen and trail magic basically are, are there's a lot of people that are involved with the trail through hiked it before just like to hang out and chat with hikers and and so what they'll do is they'll just pull up and you know they'll they'll have coolers full of food and all that sort of stuff and and you know it's all free you just sat and chat for a little bit you eat the food there take what you can and and uh and then go on your way and but we got to the end of this and these people had set up this big like sort of uh freestanding tent in the back of their car they had a they had a full like taco buffet and drinks and just little debbie cakes and it was like the full setup and it was this family that did it and to to pull out of the smokies and have that just right there for you and I, you know these these guys aren't like oh you know one per everybody you know they're like eat as much as you want because uh, they'll bring all this food and and whenever it's gone that's when they leave and so we're just housing all these tacos and by this point you know we had been on the trail for two weeks or so and you know hiking as many miles through with the backpack and and exerting ourselves our our hunger i will always say this an at hiker is never satisfied and we absolutely were just we could just eat and eat and eat without without pause because your body just devours it and we must say i don't know six or eight <laughs> tacos and uh, and then we you only have to walk a little further uh before you reach um i-40 and that was where uh basically that's the state line to get into tennessee and throughout the smokies you're actually on the border uh, of Tennessee and North Carolina. So it's sort of this, this funny place where, you know, you know, you're walking on this borderline. So, you know, the, the joke gets old really fast, but you hop from one side to another, right. When you get there and, and all that sort of stuff. But at the end of the Smokies, you pass I 40 and that's where Tennessee starts and you go from there. Uh, so that was all of North Carolina plus the, the border, walk through the um the smokies and you know i it, it was uh a really beautiful place to hike and even though it was all still winter dead when you get into the smokies there's a lot of pine up there so that sort of brought a little life back but we had really just lucked out with the weather uh that march in 2012 was the year that the snow melted I think in the entire lower 48, it pretty much melted in March. It was this crazy thaw. And rather than being in snowy conditions, you know, I've heard snow drifts and all that sort of stuff. And that's what everybody was sort of preparing for. It was 75 degrees some of those days. We got a lot of rain, but being that temperature without any bugs and being at that high elevation it was absolutely like the perfect setup you could never ask for anything more tons tons of streams it's all these little salamanders these these bright orange ones i don't know it was just it's just such a phenomenal crazy place and you know definitely you see a lot of people there's ridge runners so you sort of have this feeling that that the forest service is is out there and they're keeping an eye on things so in some ways you're sort of looking over your shoulder because you know who knows if if uh, that sneaky bottle of 151 is against the rules or all that sort of stuff but 
it, you know, it, it was still a, a really cool experience to be in there and just being surrounded by those those sort of smoky, foggy mountains. I mean, they live up to their name. Absolutely. It's it's such a, a cool, cool place. But to get through it and be able to move on, it was kind of in a way when you start the trail as you get closer to the Smokies, people just talk about it more and more as this impediment, these these huge hills and having to stay in the shelters. And it's almost like this sort of speed bump um, because I think typically once you get through there, that's when people start to put the hammer down a little bit and you start really accelerating. Um, but Tennessee, you know, we'll get into that on the next one. Tennessee's a tough, tough state. And if anybody thinks that you're going to hit that state and just start doing 30 mile days you got something else coming and i i was still in that point where you know the knees were sore but uh every day it seemed like they were a little less and i could kick the pace up a little bit more even though i was really really trying to keep it at a certain level to really ease the pressure that i was putting on it but as far as like the gear and everything else uh, with the multiple sort of resupplies, whether it was in a town or if it was in like a little place like at Fontana Dam, I was getting pretty good at being able to just pick and choose and make sure I didn't run out of things and, and have the right sort of stuff that I wanted. And so I was sort of becoming more and more confident in the actual hike. I still never really felt like I would say, yeah, I'm going to make it, um, partly from superstition, I guess, and, and partly from maybe just like a, a respect of the trail to not really just come in, you know, guns blazing. You, you want to sort of come in, or at least I wanted to come in a little, little more modest and humble because it is something that one false step and all of a sudden you're done you sprain your ankle or whatever you might be out for a week which might turn into two weeks i mean there's there's so many things that can happen oh and that, that actually reminds me when when we passed uh well, one of the one of the gaps in the smokies we started seeing helicopters everywhere and uh at that time there were it was either one or two lost uh like day hikers like guys who would you know come with their families or whatever they were teenagers but the helicopters were buzzing around. Everybody was talking. They were passing out pictures of these people. And, you know, the the Smokies are definitely a place where you would not want to get off of that trail and sort of get lost. Because, I mean, it's it's a huge, huge national park. I mean, it's absolutely massive. And, you know, we, we were definitely sticking to that trail and just trying to put down miles. But it was the first encounter we had of – of sort of people in like a little bit of a, a panic mode. And I do remember we came across uh, a hiker that had, oh, what had she done? I don't think she broke her leg, but she definitely sprained something. And we were about a mile. So the, the trail, the second half of the smoky sort of dips into the woods and then it comes out at these little vistas that the road actually that, that runs through there comes out to and, and we came across these these uh, these people in distress and ended up sort of a bunch of us sort of not carrying, but but helping along the people about a mile back out uh, to where I, I don't know if they had an ambulance or just a friend coming to pick them up. But 
I don't know. There was sort of this weird air of watch your step because this place is the real deal. <laughs> so I don't know. We had to stay on our toes there in the in the Great Smoky Mountains. But it was also, like I said, it was beautiful. There was one one uh, one vista that was absolutely amazing. I'm trying to. It's like Stuart. Um, oh man, can't remember exactly, but. It was this just, it was like this nose, this big like bulge that came out and it was all rock and you could go right up to the tip of it and you're just, just the steepness of the hills around you, all this pine and it had that smoky haze in the air. I, it's just amazing. There's like, there's a strange silence in the Smoky Mountains. If it's not raining and there's no thunder and wind. It's really quiet, and I, and I know it's that time of year where there's no bugs and there's not really a lot of animal life running around, but the place seems to just eat sound, and so you're just walking and walking and walking, and man, it's just such a such a cool place, but not the kind of place that we wanted to spend too much time in. <clears throat> we pretty much wanted to just get the heck out of there and back to our casual, you know, oh, that looks like a good camp spot, and we're going to stay there. Let's find some rocks and make fire ring and, and do all that. Cause I don't know. There was, there was something about being able to make your own spot and it just, I don't know. I, a lot of times it was, it was within, you know, a stone's throw of the shelter, but it, it just felt different. And I always, always slept much better when I was in my tent. And I don't know if it's just, you know, you've got your little sleeping pad, but You've also got the softness of the ground compared to just a, a, a hardwood board that you're trying to sleep on. And, and the, the fact there's no noises or anything like that. So I was, I was getting into my sort of rhythm and it was nice to, to still be hiking with scuba Steve. And we're going to, you know, as we get into Tennessee, it, it starts off with a bang and we start really getting to know uh, a decent little group of hikers. And man, it just, when I look at these pictures and I read through this guidebook, it just brings me right back to the trail. And all, all it does is make me want to want to pack my bag and go for it again. Maybe not the AT, but, you know, another long-distance trail. And I, like I always say, I, my only wish is that I could do the AT for the first time again. So that's it for uh, part three, uh, taking you through North Carolina and the Smoky Mountains. I uh, hope you guys enjoy it, and uh, I'll get the, the next one through Tennessee out here shortly. But uh, as usual, thanks for listening, and uh, we'll see you soon.